All right, guys, we're back for uh, part two of the interview with 1973 Masters champion Tommy Aaron. Uh, he picks up right where he left off, talking about the par three contest that he played with Ricky Fowler and Jonas Blixt. And then he gets into some uh, gambling stories from playing with Phil out there. And we talked to him about some interesting people that he met. And he, he tells a really funny story about Donald Trump which you may see on the Instagram or Twitter. Really hilarious. We just kind of keep rolling along. Hope you enjoy it and uh, give us some feedback. Got some good feedback on the first part of the interview, so hope you enjoy this one as well. Played Ricky Fowler and Jonas Blix. Did you get any money on the line with them? No, no, they weren't gambling. Uh, those young guys, I don't think they gamble that much like the older guys used to, but I've never heard them talk like they're gambling. I played... The back nine with um, Phil Mickelson, Brady Couples, and Cal Cavecchia one year. And they were gambling, but they never told me how much they were playing for. I asked, uh, <laughs> I asked uh, Mickelson, what are you, how much are you guys playing for? And he just said, a lot. That's all he ever said. And he hit a nice shot on. I knew they were gambling because they never hit an extra shot. If they hit a bad shot, they just go up and hole out. And usually in practice rounds, they'll take extra shots, so they'll put on a green from different spots. And they weren't doing that. I joined them on 10. I, and, and so I noticed that they would hole out the way you're supposed They never said a word to each other. So. <laughs> and so... They got over to 13, and they all hit big drives. Even Calcavecchia, they had iron shots to the green, and they all hit it in the creek in front of the green. And they dropped the ball down just the way you should, and they pitched over and made eight or ten footers for pars. They never missed a putt. I couldn't believe it. Unbelievable. Mickelson, he does that all the time, though. JP and I are huge Tiger Woods fans. Mm -hmm. We love Tiger. Uh, pull for him all the time. What kind of relationship or rapport does he have in the Champions Dinner? I mean, they act like he's very well liked. He Yes, I think he is. Now, when he was younger, years ago, when he first won, he'd come to that Champions Dinner, he wouldn't say a word. He'd just kind of stand over to the side, and people would go talk to him, but he didn't really volunteer anything. And that's changed as he's gotten older. He feels more comfortable, I guess, talking. Does, it, do him and Phil kind of command the room in there or well, in the Champions the, Dinner? Uh, there's a cocktail portion in that Champions locker room, which isn't real large. And I've had some friends from Gainesville up there in that Champions locker room. I, one year I had Ricky Brown. and uh, But anyway, that's where the cocktails are. And that's where the players are. And it's very relaxed. And uh, I'll go around and I might get a couple of flavors signed by Tiger and um, Nicholas or Palmer to, for an auction or something. I'll give them the flag to auction off. But it's a very form, informal atmosphere the entire night, but especially the cocktail portion of it. It's very informal. And then they call, they get your attention. They're saying dinner's being served. And you get up and you go into the where they have the dining room set up, which is the, the front part of that upper clubhouse where they usually have 
lunch and breakfast is served there, and they take those tables out and put other tables in, and they put you in a group, and they take a group picture, which you've seen, and right. then you sit. You can sit anywhere except the head table. Fred Ridley, who's the new chairman, sits there with the guy that won the year before that the, is hosting the dinner. Uh, ben Crenshaw is the host. Byron Nelson used to do that, but uh, I guess maybe he chose Crenshaw to do it. And he gets up and he makes a few comments about the tournament and the winner, and he introduces the winner, and the winner, new winner can get up and say whatever he chooses to say. The floor is his. And most of them just make very brief remarks. They don't have much to say. Just speaking on, on Tiger, and obviously you compete against Jack for your whole career. Mm-hmm. Um, going back to the, the Walker Cup team that we talked yeah. about before, we only we've only seen Tiger. Mm-hmm. I mean, how do you how do you compare them? I mean, Jack well, Jack came along and was hitting it really far, and he and, was the first real long hitter that had a complete game. There were always long hitters around, but they didn't play quite that good. You know, they'd hit a long drive, and that was about the end of it. But he didn't miss many fairways. I'm amazed at the modern-day player how many times he drives it out of the Nicholas didn't play much out of the rough. He was usually right down the middle. And uh, he hit, hit a lot of greens, and he did everything well. In fact, I thought at the time, I don't think I'll ever see another player in my lifetime come along that'll rival Nicholas. But, of course, Tiger Woods does. And all the young guys are great. But Nicholas was special. He, he could do it all. And that was the first player that I had seen that I knew was going to be a superstar, even when he was an amateur. If someone said, Fuzzy Zelda's going to do this, and I'd thought, well, maybe. But with Nicholas, you could just see it. He had superstars, just like Tiger Woods had that as an amateur. Had it written all over him. Well, who out there now kind of reminds <laughs> you of your game? When you're obviously, oh. you know, you, I think I read you were in the top 60 for 12 or 13 straight years out there on the money list. Very consistent. You said you're ninth without even winning one year out yeah. there. Who is there? I don't, you see I, don't, yourself? I don't know. The game's changed so much. They hit the ball so far right. uh, that I don't know. I don't. I can't think of uh, Tom Kite at one time was considered not that long, but I played with him in senior tournaments and he did it out there a long way. But Hale Irwin and Tom Kite continued to exercise and work on their game even as they got older. And when I quit playing the tour, I thought, well, I'm not going to play any more golf. The senior tour was just starting. I thought, well, I'll play two or three tournaments in the senior tour. Now they maybe 30 tournaments on the senior tour. So I didn't really try to – we would never exercise. We never lifted any weights. We'd hit golf balls. And that was about it. You tried not to get overweight. But now these guys exercise all the time. They're in a lot better condition. They're stronger. They hit the ball further. They last longer than the older players did. And they're better. You know, every generation seems to get better. You mentioned Fuzzy Zeller a couple of times. He got into some trouble with the Champions Dinner and Tiger. Yeah, um, he did. Did they ever get over that? Or oh, I think so. Yeah. yeah, he didn't mean anything no, by No, he it. didn't. It, it got taken away. Uh, that's, that's fuzzy. He's trying to make a joke out of everything, see? And it yeah. backfired him then, on him then, and he didn't mean anything by it. But Fuzzy's got to try to say something funny. He works real hard at being funny. Trevino, it's real natural for him, but with Fuzzy, I've always thought it was forced. He's always, 
And he said something like, well, fried chicken or whatever they eat or something. He, he meant nothing by that, you know, but that's just fuzzy. He's trying to be funny, and fuzzy likes to drink, too. <laughs> and, that, and that can interfere with what you have to say. Sometimes you use bad judgment. But he's always been that way. I remember the first time I saw him was at the Westchester Classic in New York. And he's in a bar screaming and yelling and carrying on. But he was so talented, you know, no matter how inebriated he was, if it didn't bother his game. You know, he was just that good. People again, blame it on something like he drank too much. But if you're good, that can't, that's not going to stop you from having good tournaments. You, they can't stop you if you're really good. Or they'll blame it on people who are pulling for somebody and say, well, he didn't practice or he didn't, didn't do this well. Maybe so, but I never saw Nicholas wearing out the practice tee. When he, he might go out there and hit 20 balls if he wasn't happy with the way he played. And that but was it. That was it. And he did a lot when he was growing up. Young, he used to practice a lot. But anyway, if you're good enough, no matter what you do, you're eventually going to come through and do well, I think. Now, are you? do you stay in contact with any – I mean, you see – do you look forward to the – the week of the Masters every year getting to see those guys or are you in I contact look, with them? I look forward to seeing them, uh, the guys that I played with, um, like, well, Lou Graham didn't win the Masters, but he won the U.S. Open and um, Charlie Cootie and uh, some of the older players that come back. Goldie comes back. Doug Ford used to come back, but he passed away. But he, he was in his 90s and he'd still come back. But the modern-day player, I don't know many of them. That's one reason I try to enter and play the par three with them, to get to know them, see. Now when I see Ricky Fowler, he knows me, and he says hello. And his grandmother was caddying for him. She had about four clubs in her hand. And uh, when we finished, she said, would you sign my hat? And I did. I put, I know you're proud of your grandson, Ricky, you know, and I signed. It's nice to meet those guys, uh, but I go, to, I go down to the lower locker room where they're eating, the food's a lot better down there because they have a chef. They'll prepare anything they want. And up in the champion's locker room, you just sort off the menu. So I'll go down there and just to meet some of them, and I'll sit down. Last year I sat down with Justin Rose, and he was very open. I enjoyed talking to him. And I said, I, uh, I really admired that shot you hit it. He won the opening. Marion. Yeah. I said, you're way out there, 200, and I don't know, when you hit this beautiful three or four iron right in the middle of the green, right. what a great shot under the circumstances, you know. And he was very open and very easy to talk to. Uh, and a lot of them are, and then a lot of them aren't so much, you know. It's like, what are you doing down here? Do <laughs> <laughs> you still watch a lot of golf then? You're I watch the big, big tournaments on TV. I watch the majors and – that's about it. I guess around Masters Week and Augusta National, I mean, who are some of the most interesting people you've you've met or pl even played golf with? Any presidents or, you know, people like that? I sat down with a, a guy that was in the cabinet with um, one of the Bushes, and I can't remember his name. I remember talking to him, and I see um, – he's a, he's from Georgia, from down around Macon, played on the tech team about the same – uh, time I did, and I'm trying to think of his name. He's been in, he's not in politics now, so I'll meet some politicians like that, but never a president. Tennessee Ernie Ford, I met over there one year when he was alive. And Jack Lemon, I met him over there, the actor. Mm -hmm. Like Condoleezza Rice is. She, Condoleezza Rice. Oh, yeah. I saw her over there. She was playing with Phil Mickelson on Sunday before the tournament day. 
And, and I saw her, and I said, I'm going to go over and introduce myself to her. I just wanted to meet her. And she said, oh, I know who you are. I know all the past winners of the Masters. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty neat. Yeah, that was kind of nice. But she did. She knew most of the players in the tournament. And I said to one of the caddies, I said, how does she play? And he said, well, she plays pretty good. I'm not, I'm not so sure about that. Though. <laughs> what about that? Uh, what about Donald Trump? Is it, have you ever well, have you ever seen him over there? No, I haven't. But I was playing in a senior tournament in West Palm years ago, and Mar- he was married to Marla Maples at that time, who was from Dalton. And I've known Marla. Her grandparents used to live here, and I remember Marla from one time she was eight or nine or ten years old. She'd come over to visit her grandparents. Their last name was Locklear, and they'd take. Marla and and my daughter and my son out on the lake with them. So I've known her a long time. And she saw me at the senior tournament on the ninth tee I saw her in the crowd. And I went over to say hello. And she said, would you do me a favor and take Donald Trump to play the Augusta National? And I said, well, I can probably arrange it. But as a past winner, I only have one guest day. So I can't take guests, but I can find a member that'll host us. And I did. And I said, give me a number where I can call and reach him. So she gave me his number, and I called him and told him who I was, and I had arranged for us to play the Augusta National. And it was January date because the members have more flexibility with guests during the bad months, the winter months. And he said, no, I want to play in June or July. <laughs> I said, well, the course isn't open in June or July. He said, what do you mean it's not open? I said, well, it's a winter golf club. And they closed. He said, that's the dumbest thing I ever heard of. He said, <laughs> so you called him so to play I, and he just... He says, I said, I'm going to have to go through the whole schmear with this guy. <laughs> the whole concept was a winter golf club in the 30s because it was before air conditioning and the summers are oppressive there. And Bobby Jones didn't think that old backyard Bermuda that you put on in the summer down there was a championship surface. So it's a winter golf club, and they've never changed that. They've extended the season a week or two on each end. Uh, But it's just a winter golf club. Well, he didn't know anything about that, which kind of puzzled me. But he wasn't into golf like he is now. And so he agreed to come over and play. And I said, you can bring a guest with you anyone you want to. And he says, do you think my plane can land at the airport there in Gainesville? And I said, I don't know, but I can find out. <laughs> and so when I called back to confirm it, about two weeks later, his secretary says, no, he has a business engagement that's spoiling. So I had that guest day with a member, and I hated to lose it, so I called a couple, Larry Carlson, I don't know if you're I know met, Larry Carlson. And Jerry Coker, who works for Wilhite, and I said to them, you want to fill in for Donald Trump today at the Augusta, <laughs> the Augusta National? That became a real good story yeah, out there a few story. years ago. <laughs> so, yeah, we we had a lot of fun playing that day. And I've taken a few other Gainesville people over, but usually they're from out outside of town, most of the people I've met over the years. And to be very honest, it's kind of a business, use it for business contact. Absolutely. Yeah, so if there's a guy that I think might be doing something in golf that I might be involved in, I invite him. But anyway, that that's to be very honest. That's what you usually do. Most of the guys do. That I mean, that makes really good I'm, sense. Yeah. I'm sure the members do that, too. I, I called a member one time about bringing some people, two people over to play. He says, well, I'm not going to host any outside play this year because I got to thinking last year uh, 
I never played with anybody that I knew. They were all from out of town. I was playing with them. I didn't know them. So this year, I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to play with Augusta National members. I said, okay, I understand that. And then a lot of the members that I know, they've gotten older. It's an old membership anyway. Mm-hmm. And this guy that I got agreed to play with Trump, uh, gosh, he's, he's 86 now. I don't even think he plays golf anymore. In that champion's locker room, a lot of them have quit playing, too. <laughs> like, um, he said he quit playing golf, Ray Floyd. I said, you don't play anymore? No, he said, I can't stand to play the way I play. So I just quit playing. And I thought, you know, I love to play golf. I play terrible, but I still like to play. I say, you, I've, I've called you on Friday and Monday just to set this up, and you played both days. Yeah, that's right. And I don't know if you went and played today, but... No, I didn't play today. I played yesterday up, yesterday. up at Chester T. What did you shoot at Chester T yesterday? I just, yeah, I shot 70. That's the lowest score I've shot in in years because I'll usually mess it up. You know, I'll hit enough bad shots, and then I will don't putt very good. But I did. I made six birdies. I haven't made six birdies in years. I usually make one or two birdies or no birdies. And you tell somebody that, and they don't believe you. <laughs> I'm telling you. Different times have you shot your age? Oh God. Well, I'm 82. Uh, like, when did you first start doing it? I guess. Oh gosh, I can't. I was. Uh, I was playing in a senior tournament in Arizona and they had a, a Tuesday special day. Countrywide Mortgage was a title sponsor. The company that put us into the recession a few years ago. <laughs> one, of, one of them anyway. And they have a Champions Day on Tuesday and you can play in that if you're over 60 and have won a major. And I started playing in that eventually and uh, the last time I played I played with Dow Finsterwall, and I shot 62 on my own ball. I was 64 years old at that time. And uh, my ball's going in from everywhere. No matter what kind of putt I had for a birdie, whether it's 5 feet or 20 feet, I seemed to make it. And what surprised me, Finsterwall was a real good player, but never very long. The first hole, the course we were playing, Charlie Coot and I, and I hit drive and eight irons, and he couldn't reach it with a driver and a three metal. But he never was very long, but I, it just shocked me. And the other player, Cootie was playing with Jack Fleck, who was a, an old guy, but he'd hit his drive out there, and if it rolled on the ground, he'd get out there a respectable distance. He couldn't see or hear a thing you know, on the tee, and he'd say, Charlie, which hole away does this hole go? <laughs> Looking around like he was in another world. <laughs> I'll be there eventually. I shouldn't say that. <laughs> so did Dow help you any that day? or Well, did you, with the birdies, I, I don't think Dow made a birdie. So y'all probably shot 62 but, as a team. Yeah, but anyway, uh, um, yeah, I, I've never had a day like that in, uh, ever before. I had some over the years, but it was a long time that I shot a score like that. It was just one of those days. I had a friend that was uh, out there. There was an automobile dealer, and he said, I'd like to caddy for you in that Tuesday Champions Day. And I said, well, okay, but I'm going to be playing Saturday or Sunday. You need to come out and get familiar with a cart. You can have a cart, but a lot of times I walk, which means you can ride with the clubs in the cart. But if I'm in the cart, you have to walk and carry the bag. And that can be confusing. You have to figure out where to park the cart. And a lot of guys are real touch you about the cart being in their way or they can see it back here 
So you need to learn how to park in the cart. So we played one, I was by myself in a cart, and we were just flying around, and we weren't going through anything we'd like do like the next day we were playing. I said, now tomorrow we're going to have four players, and it's going to be completely different than what we're doing today. But she'll catch on pretty quick. So about the third hole, he had to attend the flag stick. And I hadn't talked to him too much about that, but he didn't loosen it, and it got stuck. He couldn't get it out. He pulled the cup and everything else out of the ground. He was so pan- he panicked. The ball's rolling toward the cup. And he's a big, strong guy. He tore that cup out of the, out, right out of the ground. And the caddies started laughing. The tour caddies did. And fortunately, whoever's putting didn't hit the cup or anything. I don't know what would have happened then. But he was so embarrassed. We had to call an official to come out and repair the cup. I tell you that that caddying people think it's easy it's not i i caddied for brendan my brother-in-law mm-hmm. and he was paired with Stuart appleby and mm-hmm. angel cabrera and i'd never been so nervous yeah. just trying not to mess up oh yeah you're just trying not to do anything wrong right. and uh, this guy was so nervous you know and i said oh it'll be okay it's a more relaxed attitude and cooties easy to get along with and just they'll be okay and those tour caddies they have to, if you ask they have any questions about just ask one of those tour caddies they'll be glad to tell you but he was so embarrassed about tearing out that cup but he took pictures of us and pictures of the scorecard and pictures of both of us and he's got them in his dealership up there on the wall and uh i didn't know how much we made twenty five thousand dollars each and guys would say to me you should play in that champions day you finished last you make about eight thousand dollars and uh and finally i did i started playing in that and i played over the years with sam sneed and doug ford and freddie haas and Fensterwall. i played that meeting we always finished pretty good um was it was that done in savannah no no it was in arizona oh, in arizona. it was a, the tradition in arizona okay and uh they they uh they had a day before i guess monday we played with a lot of their customers countrywide and then Tuesday, we played that one day, and then we could stay or leave or whatever we wanted to do. So I started playing in that after a while. Orville Moody and those guys would say, you can make $10,000 playing in the th- if you just stay on your feet for 18 holes. <laughs> Maybe that's what Jack Fleck was trying to do. I, I think. think he was, yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, uh, Fleck, he actually played pretty good. I was really shocked at the way he played. You guys may not remember Fleck's name. I remember the name. He tied Hogan in the 53 or 54 Open. That's, at, yeah, that's right. In uh, Olympic in San Francisco. I remember it was one of the few tournaments that was on TV, and it um, it was only, they only televised 17 and 18. And I was still in, in high school at the time, but I did get to watch some of it. And Hogan finished early and posted a score, and he was being interviewed by Gene Sarazen. And Sarazen says, I want to congratulate you, Ben, on winning your fifth U.S. Open. Hogan says, I can't accept that because there's still players on the course, which is true. I was surprised that Sarazen would even say that. And sure enough, Jack Fleck came along and buried like two of the last three holes to tie Hogan and then beat him in a playoff the next day. Really? Yeah, he shot 69. Hogan shot 73 or something like that. Now, who would have ever predicted that? Jack Fleck was a drive, uh, around a driving range up in Iowa somewhere. And then he started playing the tour real regularly after that. That's pretty amazing. It is. Yeah. So I, I guess circle back to the Masters. Who's 
JP has since we started this podcast has been saying Rory's going to win this year. Well, what it, what are your thoughts the fa- on it? He's probably the favorite. I I might pick him as much as anybody. Um, it's so hard to pick a winner, but he certainly has all the tools to do it. You know, he certainly has the length. And he does everything. I think he has his ups and downs in putting, perhaps. And right. you've got to putt good at the Masters. There's no other way of winning. Well, there's a way. I guess you can play better from tee to green and hit it real close a number of times and reach the par fives and two and and win without putting real good. But he would probably have to be the favorite, I think. What do you think about Tiger's chances? Well, he's always a threat there. And uh, he is so talented that it wouldn't surprise me to see him play well. As far as winning, I don't know. But it wouldn't surprise me to see him finish very high up in the tournament because he's just that talented. Well, what's the big difference between Rochester and Piedmont? I don't have to, I don't have to shovel snow. <laughs> I don't have to shovel, so that's good. Yeah. You can play golf year-round. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's round. right. Yeah, And you caddied there at Oak Hill as a kid growing up. I did, yeah. yeah. And actually, Lee Trevino stayed with my grandparents. Yeah, you told me that. That's yeah. that's pretty amazing. Now, yeah. I, the first time I met, heard Lee Trevino's name, I was in Las Vegas playing in a regular tour event. And some guys got in this courtesy car with me that was uh, – the pro the amateurs played part of the tournament and they started talking about a guy in dallas a little mexican kid that could really play and i said what's his name and they said lee trevino and i'm watching the u.s open a year later i see this lee trevino come up on the first page of the leaderboard usually those local guys are not as good as the local people say they are i thought now this guy's just as good as these guys were saying but it was amazing. He'd only played the tour a couple of years, and he wins the U.S. Open yeah. up there. Now, what was what was his reason to not play the Masters? He just didn't like the course? or Well, I have my own ideas. Uh, he shot 80 the last round, and I think it was the year 68 with Roberto because I was still around the scoring table when he finished, and the announcer were calling out the scores. And he called out Trevino with 80 or something like that. And I think it just spoiled his him with a golf course. I also heard that he goes in the locker room and he's talking about how bad the golf course is and running the golf course down. And a member says, well, you know, you don't have to play here. And he says, you know, I don't. And so he just made up his mind he wasn't going to play. But as talented as he was, he could have won there. He He said that he couldn't, but. The greens hold a lot better now with the bent grass. So did he not come back after that? He went about six years and didn't play. And we'd be at a tournament, and he'd say, I got me. He'd be on the practice tee, and there'd be a lot of people. And he'd say, I got my invitation from the Masters, and I couldn't wait to write him a letter and tell him, I'm not playing your damn tournament. <laughs> and he'd run the course down. He'd run the tournament down. I'm thinking, come on, Lee. I mean, he's a he was a top Ten top five oh, player at the time. Oh yeah, yeah, he was one of the best, and and here he just, I think that when when he went into Augusta National, he went into white aristocratic society. He was a poor Mexican kid that couldn't play a lot of the courses in Dallas. And I think that just turned him off really, and then 
you know, he had that bad last round. A member says, well, you, you don't have to play here. He thought, well, that's a pretty good idea. I don't. Maybe I won't. <laughs> I just think, I mean, just thinking about now, if you had a top 10 player in the world, just say, you know what? I don't like no, Augusta. Yeah. I'm not going to play. He wouldn't go in the clubhouse. He'd change shoes in his car in the parking lot just to thumb his nose at the Augusta National. So I just think it was a thing that just turned him off from his background. No, he never said anything like that, but I've heard other players kind of say the same thing about him, you know. He was a very talented player, but he, he had a mean side to him that people didn't see, chose not to see. You know, he's always performing, and uh, he says a lot of funny things, you know. They just come naturally to him, but... Uh, I think his background, he never got over the fact that he was a poor Mexican kid that couldn't play a lot of courses. Last question. This is kind of, this is a, this will be kind of tough, but I mean, do you ever sit back and think, you know, next week you'd go to the champions dinner at Augusta for the, when we talk 45th or 46th time with 30 other guys in the world. I mean, how, mm. how amazing is that? Yeah, it's pretty special. When you really think about it, there's only 30 people in the world that can go to that dinner. Yeah. With the exception of the Fred Ridley, the chairman. Nobody else is allowed to go to that, which is pretty special. Uh, it is, and I think about it occasionally, but not, you know, not that often. I guess I just kind of take it for granted now, but it is a special night. I mean, I think a lot of, a lot of us in Gainesville even take for granted. I mean, oh, yeah. the, I mean, I, I, when I saw you a couple of weeks ago, we were at lunch and one mm -hmm. of the guys that I spoke to you and one of the guys at lunch we were with, I said, Hey, do you, are you a big golfer? And he said, yeah. I said, Hey, that's, that's Tommy Aaron over there. And he said, the guy that won the masters, <laughs> he's like, Oh my God, I can't wait to get home to tell, yeah. tell him I ate lunch with Tommy Aaron today. Yeah. And I mean, it's just, yeah, I know. And a lot of people just kind of take, they don't, that doesn't impress them. Or local people, that's so what? It's like, so what? I mean, it, what about the green jacket? You don't get to keep a green jacket? It stays at the Augusta National. You ever try to just walk away with it? Well, a couple of times I've left that dinner with it on, not really, and gone back to the hotel. But I take it back the next day. Do, do they call you pretty quickly, or do you have to? Well, if it doesn't show up, I'm sure. Now they have a guy collecting them. Oh. They aren't going to let that happen. A guy walk out and keep it. But some of them have been sold, you know, for a lot of money. And I, I think that's the way the club got off, uh, the jacket got off club property. Player just walked out with it. Nobody said he went back to the motel and just kept it. Because they don't. They have a guy there that's collecting those jackets after the dinner, but they didn't always have that. Um, and I hear these crazy numbers about how much they bring. Oh, I can imagine. It's just crazy um, because there's no other thing like it in the world, you know. And so uh, they started that with the members back in the 30s when the club first opened just to identify the members. And then eventually they started giving the jackets to the winners, too. Uh, Hogan started that. Um, and I knew what year I, I've kind of forgotten now, but he he just invited Sneed and Nelson and maybe another player to have dinner with him on a Tuesday night, and then it just started growing from there to become that club with all the champions. Yeah, I read it was like 1952 or 1953, okay, somewhere first, around there. Yeah, that sounds about I started to say 1950, but you're probably right about that. Demerit, he probably invited Demerit, Demerit and Hogan were pretty good friends, I think. So did you meet Bobby Jones? 
Yeah, yeah. Um, I was playing at East Lake, and it was qualifying for, uh, and I forgot now what it was, whether it was the National Amateur or the National Junior, USGA Junior. And Bobby Jones was still pretty active. I'm going back to the 50s. And he took a card out with a driver and came around and watched me play a few holes. And then I guess, and I was nervous with him watching me play, and I guess he realized that, so he left. And when and I was in his office one time, he just wanted to wish me good luck. And I'd see him over at Augusta, but he was so paralyzed then that he'd hardly ever leave that cottage, which is near the 10th tee. You'd see him sitting out there on the porch. But when I was an amateur uh, and played in 59 and 60, he was still pretty active. You know, he could get around pretty good. But he what, he didn't compete. No, he played uh, in the first few Masters, and then he stopped competing. But anyway, you know, he retired when he was about 27. Yeah, that's right. And he didn't play the tour. He he was just kind of a weekend golfer. He was a practicing attorney. And he'd go out and play on the weekends and go play in a tournament and win it. So he must have been a genius, really, to do that. Hogan and Sarazen and all the best players he would beat. And he was just kind of a, he played a lot of golf. I'm sure he didn't play in the winter. He didn't like to play in the cold weather. So he quit. And then when the weather started getting warm in the spring and summer, he started back when he was a young man and competing. But he was just kind of a member there at East Lake that went out and played two or three times a week. And then he'd go play in a tournament and win it. It's, people don't think of him like that. They don't know that much about him. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming by. I enjoyed it. This is awesome. Wow. That was a lot of fun to get to sit down with a Masters champion for a couple hours at his house, ask him questions and listen to him tell stories. It's amazing the people he's met from Bobby Jones to Tiger Woods. And when I was doing some research on Tommy, found out he's part of the 1959 Walker Cup team, which there was an article that the USGA had put out that said that was the best Walker Cup team ever. And this was an article written in 2009. So there's so much more that we can get into with Tommy. You know, on that Walker Cup team was obviously Jack Nicholas, but then you had a guy named Harvey Ward, if you've read the match, probably one of the more famous amateur golfers in the world. So hopefully in the next few months, we're going to sit down with him again and bring some more material. He's, I mean, his amateur career is, is amazing, uh, matching the Masters victory. So Anyway, we really hope you enjoyed it, and like I said, give us some feedback, and we'll uh, hopefully sit down with Tommy here in the next couple weeks, or sorry, the next couple months, and get some more good material for you guys. Thanks for listening.